You know what I never see, period, anymore that I used to remember being a foundation of uh, of Halloween miniature candy shenanigan pack assortments? Heath Bars? Mr. Good Bars. Oh, Mr. Good Bars. Never see Mr. Mm-hmm. Good Bars anymore. No. It's all like, there's like 60 different types of Reese's now. Yeah. You got Reese's, Reese's Pieces, Reese's Minis, Reese's Thins, the like Reese's Fast Breaks. You've got the Reese's with the Reese's Pieces in it. You've got like the white chocolate. There's so many Reese's. There's the Reese's with the Reese's Pumpkins with like more peanut butter. There's the peanut butter on peanut butter. So it's like double peanut butter chocolate Reese's. There's so many Reese's, man. They need to they need to pump the brakes and chill out with that. Because honestly, and my girlfriend's going to kill me for this, Reese's are kind of overrated. Uh, I think you're being a little Reese's right now. Yeah. All right. We're done. This is this is over. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 40. In this episode, we are talking about Neville shoots on the beach. I'm Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other. Episode 40, On the Beach. It's a beautiful, we're recording a little late this week, but man, it is a beautiful fall Sunday. The weather is perfect outside. We've got a nice view of everything. We're probably going to watch some some football after this it's Absolutely. just it's a very it's a very wholesome you know kind of like experiential day it's it's a good day i feel good today i do too this is going to be an an odd an odd one i think but yes. but outside of the the oddness perhaps of this of this book this is going to be i think this is going to be a fun little episode yeah uh, pretty traditional i mean we're not going to vary too far we'll tell you a little bit about the author Neville shoot great name Yes. Uh, I'll give you a brief and dirty summary. And I mean brief. It's I'm, I'm thinking. I want three words. I'm thinking three words. I'll three do three words. words. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool. All right. I'll give you a summary. Then we're just going to jump into it. Yes. This, I, I know leading into, you know, a few days out from recording, you were kind of, you were kind of thinking this, this might be a contentious episode. You were thinking yeah. that we might be kind of on, on different places. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see when we get into it because we haven't really talked too much about this beforehand. No. But uh, yeah, we'll just get into it, talk about our thoughts. Maybe we have some questions here or there. I don't have any formally, but some may pop up. You know how it goes. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, we'll get to our patented three-tier rating system. Four if we're getting rid of it. Five if we're sending it to Cape Town and it's going to get a n- nuclear cloud. Six if we're just going to put it in a submarine and sink it in the ocean. Seven if we're going to give it a death pill or an injection. Yeah. Or uh, both. Or both. But Never I don't know. think we're going to get to that. And then, of course... We'll tell you about the exciting things coming in future episode. Yeah. So if you haven't read this book, it's weird to listen to a podcast about a book you haven't read unless you're just trying to inform yourself without doing the actual work. So maybe pause the podcast, read the book, then come back and hang out with us. Or go watch the movie. Did you know this was a movie? Uh, this is made? No. Well, so there was a movie in 1959 with Gregory Peck and Ava really? Gardner. Yeah. Oh no shit. And then uh, I also saw there was like a TV movie made where it's like in a more modern okay. present time. I mean, I guess it's not necessarily like a an older book, even based on kind of when it was written. Yeah. It doesn't it never felt like super dated. But anyway, yeah, or you can go watch the movie. Yes. To get a little addition there, but obviously Just, read the book. We're yeah. a book podcast. Not, not a movie, not a movie podcast. podcast. Yeah. That's uh, coming next year. That's in twenty twenty. Oh yeah. A better the Better the shelf? digital collection because yeah. who has like a better the DVD sleeve that's yeah. dusty and at the top of your like closet or storage room. Excellent. All right, so let's let's talk Neville Shoot. Let's uh, do it. He was born in eighteen ninety nine. Lived in Australia. Uh, he was a novelist, obviously, and an aeronautical engineer. Um, he used his full name for engineering, uh, which is Neville Shoot Norway, which is his last name. Uh, and then he just used Neville Shute for uh, his writing because he didn't want to be taken uh, as not a serious man by his fellow engineers because he was also writing. He also wanted to keep his like critique of his uh, novel writing right. separate from. I mean, you his can't engineer. take writers seriously, so I understand that. For yeah, sure. absolutely. We're we're a wily bunch. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, he had an interesting life in the sense that uh, he sort of was the character um, in like Peter Holmes in a sense. Yeah. Uh, he was in the uh, in the Navy Reserves for Australia um, for for a long period of time. He uh, helped engineer weapons for for uh, World War II 
submarines. Um, he graduated from Oxford in 1922. Okay. Um, so pre-World War uh, II. Wait, that's pre-World War II? Yeah. So Blown in my mind. I know. A history I know. lesson here. Uh, it, the most interesting thing that I, uh, that I found about him was that his dad was the head postmaster uh, in Ireland, uh, stationed in Dublin during the Easter uh, uprising. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's about about it he, honestly reading through his like wikipedia page a lot of it is like engineering and aeronautical stuff and really was not that interesting yeah. uh, just a little little snippet oh yeah he, he's, he wrote, he, 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 wrote a bu- well. he wrote a bunch of books uh he doesn't really have any awards to speak of uh in that realm uh but he was a fairly successfully pro- published yeah. you know numerous yeah. amounts of books there so yeah uh and and he definitely had some some fame tied to to his writing but so we'll, we'll save that. Well, before for we get into the summary, later. I was very surprised because you know when you suggested this book and we kind of like read the little blurb on the back, I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's like a World War Three, and you know, apparently I just didn't read this little bit at the top because we have the same edition of the book. Yeah, I didn't yeah. read this little bit at the top. I thought this was going to be like a new book. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, and then oh. when I purchased the book, and I was like, wait, this is from like nineteen nineteen fifty three or what was it published fifty three or fifty seven something yeah, like that. Yeah. I. I was very surprised. I, I I don't know. I was like, oh, wow. We're just like going back. I, I didn't yeah. peg you for like an oldie guy. You tend to have the more more contemporary stuff. But yeah. Well, this was a recommendation from that is a, a co-worker. That is true. So that's, that's how I came across it. All right. It. Three word summary. You ready? Three word summary. <laughs> Radioactive death cloud. Yeah. I mean, that's basically it. That's I mean, that's the, the primary mover of plot in this story. And we get a lot of other things around it. But first things first. Yes. Um. I remember what sold me on this book. Uh-huh. The little blurb was, okay, it's, you know, there's there's it's post-World War Three and there's this death cloud and they're like surviving and they get this they get this radio signal off the coast in of like Washington. Yeah. They have to go investigate. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, that's cool. That's fascinating. That's an interesting like thing. Yeah. That is so inconsequential yep. in the overall like narrative of this book. It ends up just being a fucking like broken window frame on a on yeah. a little transmitter and it ends up amounting to like nothing in the story i gotta tell you um is this the biggest like expected bait and switch for what a story would be for you that we've read by far because it's easily that for me yeah i was expecting and again not to fault the book on you know we can get into the individual merits of the of the story and the themes and all that sure sure but i was so just not necessarily disappointed but i just went Oh, the yeah. like little bit on the back of the jacket that is kind of there to like sell the story and set up the story for you and kind of pique your interest ends up to be so inconsequentially pointless and nothing other than to just reinforce yet like, oh yeah, nobody's alive. It's just, yeah, it's a broken window frame that's transmitting it. And that's why, and we kind of figured that, but we're like, whatever, we'll go there anyway. It was, it was that to me was, cause you know, as we're reading this book, we're kind of getting we're getting sort of like the first little bit of the book. You're kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, it's strange. It's not exactly what, you know, what I expect. Cause I was kind of expecting this whole journey, this mission to be like yep. a huge part of this book. Yep. And it's not, it shows up, you know, a little bit of the ways into the book after we're kind of already dealing with these character interactions and then it's there and it's gone. And you just kind of feel like, Oh, why am I still reading? Like what, what's it? So they're all just going to die. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> it did feel a little bit, uh, anticlimactic and pointless about halfway through the book. And I think that's the biggest complaint I have with this because it does have some interesting nuggets or thoughts. If you want to delve into kind of like humans coping with like inevitability of death and like, the, you know, how each individual copes differently with that and how kind of like society as a collective, like slows down or sort of the effects on that. Those have little interesting tidbits. But by the time you actually kind of got into the ramifications of that, boy, I did not care at all. <laughs> I just didn't care because I yeah. just felt so bait and switched kind of by the the premise of this book. Yeah. So you have a thing where like if if you approach something with like uh, a subject in mind, you get very offended because you had the same thing with uh, plot. plot Against America. Yeah. Uh, and and so like it seems like you disengage when it when something doesn't meet your expectations as as far as like what the book is supposed I'm, to be. I'm okay about. with I'm okay with a subversion of expectations if it offers something that's like 
equal at least level wise in in like interesting and yeah. in storytelling. And this didn't do that. It was just like, yeah, no, they're all gonna die, so we're just gonna continue along this line. And so I, I yeah, I very yeah. Was just quickly was like, all right, I'll get through the book, whatever. Yeah, I. I <laughs> I had the same reaction to the uh, to the whole like trip to America, um, and especially like discovering what the signal actually was. I mean, you are sort of set up to believe that you know it's it's nothing anyway when they say that it's you know they've been monitoring it for years and they're like two discernible words yeah. uh, that have that have ever come through and the rest is whatever. But you know so you sort of get that this is going to be um, a red herring in, in the sense of like, they're going to get there and it's not going to mean anything, but like the way it's written on the back, like the, the mentions, like literally the sentence is like, they're, they're dealing with all this shit going down in Australia and there's yeah. no hope. Then a faint Morse code signal is picked up transmitting from somewhere near Seattle and commander towers must lead his submarine crew on a bleak tour of the ruined world in a desperate search for signs of life. Whoever, not a fucking thing. It's not true. Whoever got, whoever <laughs> wrote the, the, the back of the, the yeah. like back cover blurb deserves a raise because they essentially sold like a, a handful of, let's let's face it a handful of just boring like crap yeah i mean okay like the writing was fine but the story was just crap man it was Ugh. just boring just bleak okay and i understand i understand the i understand the interesting like fixation on yeah. kind of like post apocalyptic ideas and like how society manages and copes in like these like terrible times but it just as a reader it's just like why i don't like what is there's there's nothing of interest. Once you get yeah. past that, like, boom, it's beaten in your face. Like, oh, right, everyone's right. having to, like, they're like, there's no hope for the future, but everyone's still kind of, like, putting on these sort of things because that's how they have to deal with this trauma. You can't yeah. just sort of, like, lay on, lay down and just accept defeat. You have to kind of trudge on and, and make your sort of, make your peace with what you're doing. And it, yeah. it's just, like, cool, cool. So, but awesome. That's completely not what I was expecting with this book and not even because here's the thing like I can understand because plot against America was more so like I kind of subverted my own expectations because mm -hmm. I went out assuming something and, and it wasn't like directly said even though it was kind of like centered it said oh well you know alternate timeline and we have a new president but yeah really yeah. the book ended up just being about this family like kind of dealing oh, with right, America and that right. So, but I mean, it was still there. Whereas this book was like, this is a central, important plot development. And a lot of time is going to be spent on this. And it's yeah. literally like a chapter and it's so insignificant. Yeah, exactly. So, but you said something, uh, that, that is like the opposite of, of how I reacted to this book. So you said this was fine writing, uh, but, but a, a terrible story. And I think it's just the opposite. I think the writing is some of the worst that we've, we've read. And I think, but I think that the story like building blocks and like the yeah. overall plot is a super compelling idea. Well, okay. So when I say fine writing, I mean, it's not trying, we've read a lot of books that are trying to be like really clever stylistically, yeah. right? Yeah, this yeah. is not that book. No, in no way is it trying to be clever. It's mm -hmm. very just, you can tell it's written by someone who's, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he has kind of a background military in this yeah. or in engineering. It's very mm -hmm. kind of just matter of fact writing, but like dialogue is a very weak element in this book. Yep. Um, and just overall kind of like character thoughts and feelings. It, it feels like it's somebody writing kind of trying to appeal to maybe like a level of reader that they're not necessarily like they don't take in dialogue or, mm -hmm. or, or character development in that same way. And, but they're trying to like elevate it slightly, but it just yeah. doesn't really work. But it's one of those, like it's an easy enough read. Like you're not, yeah. I never had to go back and sort of like take anything in or piece anything no. in. The plot's at least relatively, you know, the plot is linear. linear. Yeah. It's coherent. There's nothing that that tries to trick you or, or trip you up. It's just, it's one of those things you read and you just go, what is the point? Yeah. I don't care. So I, I got I to gotta admit that I made it like 40 pages into this book and I almost didn't finish it. Yeah. Um, and that was because the, the, I found the writing like so offensive, and I, I just I want to pick apart. Okay, you like, got the, the first. I see page. a lot of dog ears. So you got I, some I, stuff. I here. do. I, I have a, I have a lot of things. But this I, is Ryan getting into I'm a writer mode, and we're we're well, extra critical. Because listen, I mean that I, is I mean, something. Yeah, that is something that is more not necessarily apparent, but it's it's more 
it's more in your mind whenever you're reading than it is with me. For sure. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm much more sensitive, I think, to, to craft and style. Yeah, for sure. But so I'm, I'm going to read like this, this whole first page um, and or at least a, a good chunk of chunk of it. Yeah. And I just I kind of want to break down like the logical progression of what we get in that scene, because okay. I, I think it is a perfect illustration of how inept he, I think he is as a writer and how poorly edited this this book is. OK, even even though it's what, 60, 70 years old at this point. Right. Well, it was written in 50, what, 53. So about 65 years yeah. old, something like that. So the book starts, Lieutenant Commander Peter Holmes of the Royal Australian Navy woke soon after dawn. He lay drowsily for a while, lulled by the warm comfort of Mary sleeping beside him, watching the first light of the Australian sun upon the cretone curtains of their room, whatever the hell that word is. Uh, he knew from the sun's rays that it's about five o'clock. Very soon, the light would wake his baby daughter, Jennifer, in her cot, and they would, start, they would have to get up and start doing things. No need to start before that happened. He could lie a little longer. He woke happy, and it was some time before his conscious senses realized and pinned down the origin of his happiness. It was not Christmas, because that was over. He had illuminated the little fir tree in their garden with a string of colored lights with a long lead to the plug beside the fireplace in the lounge. Thank you for that detail. A small replica of the great illuminated tree a mile away outside the town of Fallmouth. Uh... Town Hall of Fallmouth. They had had a barbecue. They had had a barbecue in the garden on the e- on the evening of Christmas Day I get it. with a few friends. Christmas was over, and this, his mind turned over slowly. This must be Thursday the 27th. As he lay in the bed, uh, <laughs> the sunburn on his back was still a little sore from their day on the beach yesterday and from sailing in the race. He would do well to keep his shirt on today. And then, as consciousness came fully to him, he realized, of course he would keep his shirt on today. He had a date at 11 o'clock in the second Navy member's, I'm sorry, second Naval member's office in the Navy department up in Melbourne. Okay. All right, all right, okay, all right, yeah. So with, with my own sarcastic inflection sure. there, trying to, trying to point out a few deficiencies, you have a guy laying in bed who is like, in the waking moments, he is supposedly groggy, but knows that it's 5 a.m. automatically just by the light in the room. Can't figure out what fucking day it is, but then like has this, I guess, rapid train of thought where he skips over an entire day uh, and just we don't know how he gets from the 26th to the 27th because uh, it, it must be Thursday, the 27th. And you just get this weird exposition in a in a manner that isn't like logical. But here is one paragraph that comes on the second page that I, I just this is where I literally was almost done. And so I'm just going to read this whole thing. And it's entirely sarcastic. Uh, All right. Let's hear it. My own. Uh, so this is where he's he just said that he's got to go to the, the naval office. It meant work anyway. The thought of it had made him happy when he went to sleep, went to sleep and his happiness had lasted throughout the night. He had had no appointment since he had been promoted lieutenant commander in August, and in the circumstances of the time, he had almost given up hope of ever working again. The Navy Department, however, had maintained him on a full pay throughout these months, and he was grateful to them. It's there, a lot of hads. There is so That's, much like, Wait, passive... how egregious are double hads twice in the first, uh, in less than three pages? Yeah, in, you, you get, get two you instances get, of double hads. Instances. Yeah, so... Had had. That's... That's really just like passive filler that, that goes in there, right? Sure. So like one of the most basic like things of, of writing is to eliminate um, those sort of like double verb scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, be being been, had, has, have, like all of those things are just are filler. And, and to get through both the writing phase and the editing phase and still have such an egregious amount of that stuff in the first couple of pages, which as a writer are the most important things in an entire book. I mean, you can hook somebody or you can repel somebody. Like if, if I were reading this for my own pleasure, I would have thrown this away like instantly just based on, based on that stuff. Did you ever have a, a feeling like that as you were going through it? Um, no. Cause again, the, I, 
I very much just, when I get started reading a book, I'm just kind of going through it and literally all the style, unless it's doing something, unless it's doing something purposeful yeah. to kind of make me slow down with taking in what the story's trying to say. And th- those are the only instances where things like style and grammar and, and just choices behind uh, the writing decisions really ever stick out to me. I'm very yeah. much a reader that the the minutia of what they're saying mm-hmm. and how they're presenting the story, it kind of fades to the background as I'm taking in the elements that they're saying in the story, which is why so much of that to me was more present because, you know, listening to it read back now, I was like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I remember it was an easy read, but nothing ever stood out to me as uh, good, bad, or otherwise because I was too fixated on how much the story was just like, oh, <laughs> such a, it was just such a, yeah. Just such like a, you know, it was like a wet fart. It was just one of those. <laughs> it was just not you, an example. I, I mean, this get is to a, today. this is kind of a, I mean, I guess this is kind of a wheels off uh, episode, but yeah, this is the first time I think in a while going back a while that we've both been this, I, I don't think it's so far fetched to say this disappointed yeah. in a read. And, you know, I can understand I can understand kind of, I I know you say, well, how did this get through the writing and the editing process? And I'm just thinking, well, you know, it's a World War III book, kind of like preying on this like fascination of nuclear proliferation and the effects thereof, literally at the height of kind of, you know, Red Scare and talking about like, this is the forefront of people's minds. So it would make sense to me how, how the subject matter would kind of carry over the the more structural deficiencies that this book has. So yeah. I want to I don't even know where I want to go from this. I mean I feel I feel like we need to talk at some some bits about the 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 characters or about want, the story. let's start with the women because I, I have some I, I have a huge like grievance. Moira? Yeah. Well she she was at least Or Mary mostly. She was yeah Mora was at least a little bit uh Multifaceted, yeah. Whereas uh, Mary was very much like just, yeah, the epitome of of what you would say like a stereotypical kind of fifties housewife, housewife. Yeah, you know, wants the the to get the certain. I want the certain bench for the garden, and we got to plant yeah. the stuff on the garden. And I'm so fixated on, you know, all of these very superficial things that you don't really get into. You don't, it's like, hey, how do you, you don't really experience kind of her mindset on their situation at large yeah. until I guess the very end. And even then it's kind of just mostly through Pete. Yeah. Which it tripped me up when I was reading uh, you the know, name stuff. Peter Holmes. There's a, a comedian, Pete Holmes. Yeah, I, I love, love him. He, he, He's so yeah. great. I was like, I was like, oh man, I kept thinking of the the college humor. Yeah. My favorite things were the college humor, uh, the like Dark Knight yep. stuff yep. that he did as as Batman. And so uh, now he was just Pete Holmes. That was the thing. I was like, I love Pete. Pete's yeah. my favorite character, even though he's not because he doesn't really do much of anything. Yeah, but not yeah. not at all. But so okay, have, have you uh, have you seen the uh, subreddit uh, called Men Writing Women? No, but I imagine how it goes. Yeah, you you can you can imagine, and and there's there's some like just you know bullshit stuff in there, uh. But every now and then they find like a really good, like excerpt of something where it's just like, oh my god, this is this is awful. I had I had a men writing women okay. moment on page one fifty nine. You got it. I don't uh, need to follow along. I'll listen. So this is this is when uh when Peter uh is trying to explain to her with the dummy pill and the dummy syringe like what she would have to do while he's gone if if they get radiation yeah. sickness. Uh and so it starts. She turned and ran out the room and presently he heard her sobbing in the bedroom. He did not go to her. Instead, he poured himself a whiskey and soda and went out on the veranda and sat down on the deck chair looking out over the sea. These bloody women, and this is the narrator, these bloody women sheltered from realities, living in a sentimental dream world of their own. If they'd face up to things, they could help a man, help him enormously. While they clung to the dream uh, world, they, uh, they were just a bloody millstone around his neck. Wow. And then he uh, has two more whiskeys, wakes up in the middle of the night, and she's sobbing. And she's like, oh, I'm such a fool. That's the that's the next part. Um, Yeah, he just he sucks at writing women and he he did a shitty job throughout. 
uh, Mary is abhorrent as a as a character and a representation of what I would hope a like woman. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we get uh, certainly like with Moira, we get a little bit more like. I guess, depth of character and depth of her thoughts. But even to me, it seemed like her motivations were, it was very stretched. It's just, you know, oh God, Dwight is so enchanting that she's just literally just hanging on to to every little bit. I see you have the new iPhone there. How are you liking that? I do. I uh, I love it. I need to to check and make sure that Devante is going to play. I don't have too many shit. Whatever. I'm going to roll with him. Little, I'm having a shitty little, week. It doesn't matter. interjection here. Yeah. To, doesn't matter. To pull some of that up. Well, but. just before the three o'clock game started, I glanced over and saw what time it was. Yeah. I, he's a game time decision. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to lose this week if I don't have him in there anyway. I've got to play Peyton Barber. That's my other option. I've got to move. What about Amendola? Well, I got to move Amendola up to he's in my flex spot right now. Oh, you would have to move Amadol up there and then someone else in? Yeah. Gotcha. Barber's the only other one. He starts at 305. So fair enough. Okay. Uh we'll just We're I don't even remember what we were talking about. Yeah. We were talking about women more. female characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it's not a very good <laughs> it's not a very good characterization. I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh and then here's the, my my other my other gripe about the characters in this book is that um, th- they all come from a, a very like uh, well to do part of society, right? Sure. Like even though he tries to make them seem like you know these are like kind of normal middle class characters, like you know kind of going to these like yacht clubs and you know. Uh, uh, country clubs or gentlemen's clubs, not the right word. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, on sort of the coattails of somebody else, they got invited, but like, I've never been invited to like anything like that. <laughs> like these are, these are not normal people living normal lives. I mean, you know, you yeah. got Osborne, you know, getting a Ferrari, He's got a Ferrari and, and yeah. just driving it around and racing, which, in, which in by the, the grand prix, yeah. he won a grand prix. Congratulations. He's the final winner of nuclear Holocaust death cloud grand prix. Yeah. They should have called it that. Yeah. I feel like they didn't just uh, lean they in, didn't latch. Yeah, they didn't just lean into to like the whole end of the world aspect. I would hope that yeah. I would hope that we as a society, um, or like at least we as you know whatever small community that remains, knowing our fate and knowing kind of that impending uh, certainty, would just really lean into it, just ham it up, just yeah, at least yeah. go out on a on a more lighthearted note. You For could sure. Just like hold all the pageants. Like instead of Mr. Olympia, Mr. Radioactive Death Cloud. Yeah. 2019. Okay, so let's let's talk about the end of the world because it's it's a subject that that comes up so frequently. People are fascinated yeah. by it. And it I, is fascinating, I think, the the thought process behind kind of the uncertainty around it. Yeah. And just I, even even more so I mean, even getting into the specifics of Nuclear proliferation and nuclear war and things like that are kind of a subset of that. But yeah, right. we can talk about the end of the world. Yeah, so I, th- I think we we sort of, at least in like pop culture, get two different things when it comes to like the, the end of the world. We either yeah. get like the, like it's happening kind of thing where, the, you know, somebody's trying to stop a, a major plot that, you know, is going to end the world. An asteroid is going to hit the, the Earth. Some major whatever. cataclysmic event that is right. typically without or out of our control that we have to mitigate. Exactly. And then you get the post-apocalyptic stuff. Yeah. Um you know like uh The Walking Dead, uh Mad Max. Mad Max, uh the, all the Fallout video games yeah. uh which are near and dear to me. Um and it's sort of the survival of of everything thereafter. I this is the only time where um where there's sort of a, a a slow burn of of the apocalypse in in a sense that like it's already happened uh and like it's inevitable that that they're going to die yeah it's sort of post apocalyptic in in that sense but it's pre apocalyptic to them because their society and their health is still you know intact so i i found the like 
um, sociology of what like, what everybody was doing and how they were they were living to be very different than anything else that I've I've seen. Yeah, I mean the expectation of people acting the same. I mean, albeit slightly different, but to have that sort of societal normalcy, mm-hmm. knowing that there are no major repercussions or that knowing that there are no major sort of outlooks for your behavior or your place within society. It was interesting that seemingly things kind of just went along. Right. But at the same time, it's, I don't know. It's one of those things when you're dealing with, with an event, you know, it's hard to imagine. It's hard, you know, as an individual, Mm -hmm. we, everything can be kind of isolated and you can, I guess, look at it on a more individual scale of, let's say someone gets a terminal cancer diagnosis, something like that, where you are essentially, living out however much the remaining of your days kind of with this mindset, the end is coming, you know, it's coming. You're not sure exactly when, but you know that there is no real long-term plans for you. And right. You know, I've seen it where a lot of kind of not necessarily coping, but just, you know, how do you respond to that? Yeah. It's just, you essentially, you have a choice. You can either kind of like take the, you know, well, I'm just going to give up or, you know, I guess there's three options. You could you could take the sort of I'm defeated. I'm just going to what happens happens, or I'm just going like, right. to sink into a depression or something like that, which is understandable. Yep. You could take the flip side of that as well. I'm going to fight and do everything I can, even in the face, because you never know what could happen. Sure. And then I think the most common one is is I'm just going to live out my days, kind of essentially how I want, making sure that you know I'm surrounded by the things that make me happy, whether that's family or places yeah. that I yeah. go and things like that, and. And then when it comes, it comes. And I think, honestly, that's, you know, the most reasonable uh, thing to do in that sort of situation. And so it is interesting to see that kind of, like, idea of the individual when faced with the sort of terminal Mm -hmm. sort of expanded as a society. Because then, yeah, I mean, I guess when you have a a large group of people, I imagine the majority would fit within that kind of middle role as well. I'll just live life as I know it because it makes me happy and it's the only way, I I don't know what I would do otherwise. Right, right. There's no real escaping it. And then to accept defeat, you know, it's just, obviously there are people that, you know, would fit in that role. But yeah, it it is interesting to see kind of a cataclysmic event in a more slow burn way and yeah and it's so much more fixated on less about the effects that this event has on people and more so about the effects i guess mentally and and how people sort of adjust to it yeah and it it, it struck me as really strange that uh there were no refugees like we never got mention of people migrating like ahead of well, of this stuff in any any massive thing. They did. Right? They they did say that some people had done that, but it was one of those things. that's kind of like you pick up from your home and you're on the run, and then you, there's no there's no safety from it. So well, you could just keep going. So yeah, there was. It wasn't surprising to me that there were not many that were uh, up and doing that. I mean, even just if you're looking at it from an infrastructural standpoint. Sure. But I mean, think think about war, right? I mean, think about what's happened in Syria uh, since war broke out there. I mean, yeah. people have survival instincts that at their at their core, and while you know that may not result in you know setting up Mad Max type you know gangs to you know rove the earth Which and, and col- collect it's resources, gasoline. Uh, Certainly people um, are going to try to prolong their life as, as much as reasonable. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I do think it's strange that, like, if there were places that they thought, you know, certainly the further south you head, it's, it sounded like the longer you would live, more people should have been pushing south. Like, you know, that, that would have that should have been like more of a thing. I just found the the whole feel of the of this book from the characters to how society maintained uh up up until the end i mean literally to the last few days um kept its order um it felt very like pretentious in the sense that like uh of how like neville you know wrote his his men to be these sort of upstanding kind of guys uh you know very logical and uh it's the society sort of very clearly mirrored that like 1950s style of misogyny in a sense yeah it was interesting you know he's like yeah you know my life i'm is operating this train for 12 hours a day until i die what the yeah that's the thing is 
when you look at the requirements for a modern and even modern for 1950 standards, sort of a modern, even, you know, a small city, just when you're talking about power and, and talking about agricultural needs and all these other needs yeah. to just imagine that someone's like wakes up in the morning, like right, uh, time to go spend like 12 hours at the power plant because this yeah. is how I'm going to spend my last days. Like I've, yeah, there it is. There is that, you know, aside from the other suspensions of disbelief that happen in here, there is that one where you're just like, yeah, I can understand people, you know, holding it together and, and sort of like not being these, road warrior-esque raving, you know, yeah. roving bands of looters and, and rapists and thugs and, you know, murderers and all that. But it is, it's it's hard to, to go from, obviously, they're not that extreme to go from the, yeah, this guy's totally still going to work 40 hours a week at the at the power plant for yeah. money that literally has no value. Um, he's yeah. going to spend the most valuable asset time for literally something that is completely worthless in the long run. And it's just... Because there is no long run. Yeah, I mean, it's just the the probability that that's how things would go down in a similar scenario is just is so astoundingly low to me that it's just it's not believable in any any sense. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, so did you have a question? I was going to start winding us down. Oh, I wanted I've to got, talk about the end. I got two questions. Okay, both are very short. One, how did you feel about the fact that it's literally all of this was Albania's fault? Uh, Albania of all places, they're the know. ones that started. It. I mean, wasn't it the Albanians that gave uh, that gave uh, uh, the doctor in uh, Back to the Future the plutonium to create the time machine? Was Doctor Brown was that Albanian? Or they're the ones who shot him in the mall parking lot at the beginning of of the first movie? Maybe hundred percent sure. It's been, a, it's been a while since yeah, I've so, seen that. I mean, when it comes to to nuclear stuff in that like you know thirty year stretch of you think that was like the, the Cold you think War. Back to the Future was a little wink and a nod to that? They're just like we're just gonna pile it. Yeah, on. Yeah, definitely. The they're like Neville shoot. He, yeah. he 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 referenced the Albanians. Just pile it yeah. on. Who cares? Uh, Who's from Albania? And uh, yeah, because it was what Albanians bombed Israel. And Israel like retaliated against Egypt. Egypt bombed. I don't know. It was and a mess. Russia wants more land from China or other no, way. China around. wanted. They're yeah. like, yeah, you know, we see an opportunity here. Let's bomb them. And what are the repercussions here? I don't know. It does kind of get that whole. I think it's it's a very present. Less so now, just because of I guess geopolitical, the geopolitical dynamic and tensions are different than when this book was written. Sure, but, sure. You know that idea of of nuclear war or nuclear weapons being used, it's it's less so because you really do feel like, I guess at least um, nations as a whole tend to be pretty, I don't know, pretty aware of that kind of like mutually assured destruction yeah, yeah. bit. And really the only, the only worry for the use and proliferation of nuclear weapons are for like rogue states or right. stateless, you know, terrorist entities or organizations and things yeah. like that, which are usually so ill-managed or ill-equipped or just generally not not capable of the same degree of infiltration and yeah. espionage that like a nation-backed state right. would be that it's that's it's a lot less so but it still kind of lingers it kind of looms in your mind as something sure. that's ever present yeah but. i mean yeah as, as long as they exist the the possibility that they would be used is is always is always out there and I mean, shit. We we've dropped nuclear bombs on uh, another country. I mean, it it has been done before, and I mean we've tested tons and tons, and other countries test bombs uh, like North Korea all the time. I mean, it's not a uh, it's not like these things are not still doing you know things. To, <laughs> yeah, uh, they're just sitting in a storeroom. I'm trying to. I'm gonna have to look this up after mm -hmm. the uh, after the after the show. Because I know, you know, in the 50s, obviously, the U.S. was doing a lot of atomic testing. They yeah. were still doing a lot of above ground. And I think they had moved, for the most part, out of the U.S. And they were doing it in, like, atolls in the yeah. South Pacific. Yeah. I was wondering, I wonder when all the, like, castle stuff got declassified. I because, don't know. Yeah. Because I remember that was, you know, that was a big deal after the fact. Whenever yeah. they, especially for those of you who are not big nuclear weapons fans or, or just <laughs> having any interest in, like, that. Uh, really good documentary. It's it's kind of dated now because it was like the early yeah, '90s, narrated yeah. by William Shatner. It's Trinity and Beyond, which Trinity was the first nuclear test, the first bomb ever. But I don't know. It's it's very fascinating. But they kind of go through sort of the history of the U.S. 
uh, nuclear development and testing and kind of they get a, into a more global global scale as well with uh, obviously Russia being the other primary sort of nuclear proliferating country. But yep. sort of the castle tests were, uh, I, I'm not sure if it was the first time that they used sort of hydrogen bombs, but it was they were using some new process with it. But like the yield just ended up being so much more than they had anticipated that it, you had, I think, Castle Bravo ended up being the largest nuclear detonation in the U.S. and it just caused like all this widespread issues and yeah. sort of the South Pacific. And I was just, I was curious because of the timing of this book being written. I didn't, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when That's the times good, match up. But a good thought. I, something I to probably look that. at after that because yeah. I don't know. Obviously, you know, the idea of nuclear war is present in the minds regardless, but I yeah. don't know how much of that might have actually had anything, had any part in this. So. That's, that's a good, that's a good thought. Um, so I was thinking about the uh, about the end of the book, okay. and despite all of the flaws of this of this book, um, in both writing style and just sort of plot in general, um, I still had a, a, a an emotional reaction to all of these all of these Absolutely. characters dying, and I was I was really kind of taken aback by that because this really wasn't a good book um, in in the sense of what I would normally consider a good book. Uh, but I, I really like, I felt pretty shaken up by the time I, I finished this. Like, yeah. we, you know, we follow these, these people around and, you know, they're figuring out how they're, they're going to navigate the end here and they're dealing with, you know, very, very real, um, inevitability of death. And then, you know, one by one by one, you know, at the last chapter, they, they all start all going through their, their yeah. procedure to, to end gracefully or on their own terms or. Did you did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that's the thing is you don't really you don't really connect a lot. I mean, it gets Dwight a little bit, Dwight and yeah. Moira throughout the book. They're, they're the ones that you get the most sort of like connecting with, and you know, Dwight. I guess you're made to feel the most connected to because of his sort of persistent, you know, belief and, and desire to kind of be with his family again. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the reason why he's never really like truly pursued Moira or yeah. you know that. I guess that kind of like mutual respect between them in a sense that they both were there to kind of like enjoy or to share in the last bits of day of their days together, but not necessarily, at least in Moria's case, not necessarily in the way that she would have wanted for herself in her life, but yeah, getting some, I guess getting some solace in the fact that, you know, maybe, you know, his wife would have appreciated kind of the, the comfort that she had there. But yeah, I mean, Pete, Mary and, and uh, Jennifer was kind of the one that, I had the the softest spot for which is oh, yeah. understandable, which is, which is crazy because you know throughout the book it's just like yeah all right they're pointless but you know I you know when you think about kind of the idea of having you know a small child and just like the the idea of your family like sort of just now like kind of coming into and and mm-hmm. and, and making it sort of it's sort of cohesion and and progressing forward and not getting to have that you know not getting to actually see that take place was. Yeah, I mean it's it's emotional. It is because I think you can kind of like see elements of your own life. Which which of the, I guess which of the, the characters if we're talking uh, like John or I forget the the old guy who's just pounding port. Oh uh, yeah, his uncle or whatever. Yeah, uh, I can't remember his name. Or either. you know, or Dwight or Mora or uh, Pete. Well, I mean, which of those I guess would you or did you find kind of that softer, more resonating spot with? Um. You know, obviously, you know Pete and Mary, or Peter and Mary, um, just because of the of the baby and and her like yeah. denial and and difficulty and really grasping um, the reality of her situation. I thought that was compelling, but um, I actually I had the softest spot I think um, for probably. I, it's it's a tie I think between either John or uh, Moira, yeah. Because there there is something um, I think really sad about you know him going to see his mother, his mother sending him out, her you know yeah. killing herself, and then you know him putting the dog in there and yeah doing the same to the dog so that they could be together. You know that was another one. Yeah. That was that was that was really emotional I, and but also weird because John didn't have a reaction to his mom being dead. Like oh she she was right and. She's always been right, and all is kind of the the sentiment you get from him. But um, I, I, that that was really gut wrenching. But I th- I think uh, Moira's you know driving like a bat out of hell to get to that spot where she could see 
the bridge and, you know, try to see the submarine and just being alone, like in her car after everything that she had gone through as a character, right? Like she, she, you know, obviously turned from uh, her revelry, which is sure. frankly what I would be doing uh, in, in spades yeah. uh, up and up until the end. I, I think I would, I would be drinking and hunting you'd, down Ferraris all at the be, same time. Yeah. You'd be a mix between the, the old port man and, and John. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but, the, but there was just something really sad about, you know, her character sort of redeeming herself, herself and getting some sort of sense of confidence and, um, positivity, I guess, in a, in a sense. And then obviously the rejection from Dwight, um, you know, because of his commitment to his wife and kids yeah. and, and, uh, which is also understandable. So I, I think as I sort of talk through it, I think her character was really the saddest to me because, yeah. she, you know, she took it with so much dignity, but it was just like, ugh, poor her. Yeah. Poor her. All right. Let's get to ratings. Uh, who's your pick? Yeah, I'm, you throw, go first. I'm throwing this in the trash so fast. Wow. It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm not even donating. It. Yeah, You're just trashing it. Uh, no, I'm I'm gonna donate it. Yeah, uh, but which is don't the throw equivalent. away books. Yeah. I, I I literally did throw away Asimov. So oh man, it's it's I I did. I swear to God. So is this worse than Asimov? No, it's just not worse than Asimov. Asimov was uh just ev- everything that could be bad all in all in one book. This this was pretty close, but I I think the book's ability despite all its flaws to make me feel something at the end yeah gives it some some sort of um redeeming quality but honestly i, I just there's if i recommended this to to somebody as anything other than there are interesting or compelling uh differentiations in how to handle the end of the world and the apocalypse yeah. and and literally don't take this book for anything else then i would be doing myself a disservice yeah so that's that's yeah i mean it's it's a different take on it but it is a bad take and it is bad writing yeah i mean not to i mean i'm going to differentiate a lot here i'm okay. going to put it on the top shelf uh <laughs> no i mean it, yeah it, it's it's going to be a donate for me and you know in a lot of ways the same the same reasoning for you but more so just i didn't it's it's not a book if we're going through our criteria again here yeah not really one i want to read or reread. No. Um, the characters were serviceable. I mean, Dwight Dwight and Moore were kind of the only ones that were at least compelling in sort of the things they did and that mm-hmm. kind of development over the story. So at least I'll give them, you know, I'll give them half a mark for that. Okay. Um, you know, there isn't a lot of recommendation for this because it's kind of like the the people I think that would be like interested in kind of like the like, oh, global event and, you know, this like, oh, it's this submarine i thought this was gonna be a lot more like i did too like i guess like military-esque and and those people would not i don't think enjoy this book the people that um would kind of enjoy that sort of like trial of of humans dealing with that inevitability on a larger scale Mm -hmm. i mean they have to get through so much of this book to actually get the payoff for that that i can't imagine they would enjoy that so it's really hard to think of anybody that i'd recommend it to so yeah i mean it's got to be a donate for me for yep. those for those reasons there, so well, swing and a miss. May this book rest in peace. Swing I think and a that's, miss. that's that's my first uh, real serious swing and a miss uh, since we've been doing this. Yeah, it's all good. It's. I uh, mean, they happen. Like, here's the deal. Yeah. I, I, once we got it started rolling, you know, I'm, of course, I have to give you guys my mindset on the episode while the episode's still recording. You know, we're not getting post-episode here. This is very meta. I'm talking about my mindset while recording the episode while still recording the episode. This is trippy. Just as we got rolling here, you know, I kind of came in. I was just like, I don't know what we're going to do for this book. We're just going to see. It might be it might be an S show. It might be a short episode. Yeah. But as you're rolling, there is that kind of like liberating feeling where you're like, all right, not a good book. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. often I feel... I, I, I kind of feel responsible, even though, you know, we, you know, we're a pretty small time podcast or anything like that by, by yeah. most measurable uh, things, but I still do feel a responsibility. This is something we're putting out there. So if it's right, something right. that's like, you know, you're conflicted about or that you're high on, you better damn well be able to sort of illuminate that on and, and at least kind of make a, you know, make a good point, yep. make a case. And yep. so it's always interesting when we're kind of in that middle ground, maybe high, maybe low areas on books, you know, yeah. there's a lot of tug, but Man, this one it was it was very relieving just coming in like two minutes in. You're like, all right, cool. I yeah. don't I don't it's, have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to worry about uh, 
you know, the the job I'm doing selling or not selling this book because right. it, it just really wasn't, you know, it just really didn't appeal in any way. Yeah. Long term wise for anything. And, you know, the, the other part of it, I think for me as when we get books like this is that, you know, they're obviously it's such a labor for somebody to create a book. True. Right? And this is this is not like, you know, a small time like indie press, you know, kind of book. I mean, this this has been out there for decades and he was he's a well-known writer, um, certainly, you know, in his day and age. So, um, you know, you, you hate disliking something that has, you know, some sort of staying power. Right. Um, and, you know, because it's a reflection of of the person who who created it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, also there there are people out there, you know, who probably love this book, like the the, the coworker that recommended it to me said it was one of the best things that, that he's read. And, you know, I can see probably what was illuminating to him, um, you know, but then it's one of those things like. I read books differently than than sure. somebody else does, and uh, you read books differently than 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 somebody else as well. And it, it hurts sometimes to like bash a book because you know there are people out there that that love this thing. Sure, but it's it's not about that. It's about us. And you know, I mean, it's I, I think you're right. We have to be as impartial as we can and, sure. and honest. But I mean, you know, podcast, bad is bad. The podcast. The I mean, I feel like if I'm a listener of something and everyone just kind of had you know white gloves towards everything and was just kind of like too afraid to overrate or underrate a book and sure. everything was just kind of middle of the pack i i, I would get disinterested because that would be dishonest so yeah exactly we, we calls them like we sees them all right next episode next episode is gonna be interesting mostly because we literally were just like let's let's do something different yeah. i wanted to do a genre fiction I was trying to lean towards a genre that we hadn't done, so that would kind of encompass horror and fantasy, right? Yep, yep. And so I was looking around for a few recommendations of that. Didn't really find anything. And literally, we walked in here, and we're, we're just kind of like pulling apart, looking at some books. And we stumbled on one that I think might be pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, the little like, I, I read you a sentence or two about it, and you're like, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. 100%. And so uh, the book we're reading is going to be Kraken. By here's a name that I'm gonna mispronounce horribly, probably China Mayville. China Mayville. Sure, sure. But anyway, fantasy book. It's uh, apparently about a cult that worships, you know, a kraken or worships a giant squid. And I think we had a, a little blurb about somebody getting folded up into a glass bottle. So we're in. <laughs> we're in. <laughs> that that's was, all. Say no more. Yeah. That, say no more. We're sold. That so, sold me for fantasy. Sure. Yeah. So I guess more, you know, modern fantasy. Yeah. More contemporary fantasy. But yeah, it's going to be fun. It is. It is going to be an interesting one. So and sometime between now and the next episode, I'm sure I'll, I'll dredge up whatever pops I'm, I'm going to do. So we'll, we'll put it on Twitter if you want to see uh, the sort of pre notes about what we're going to be doing uh, in future episodes. Hit us up at Better Bookshelf. Thank you for listening to this episode. Next episode will be Kraken. Thank you for listening. And until next time.